Well, it seems inevitable that um, whether it's, you know, an Army Special Forces sort of school or the Ranger School or uh, Watermark Summit Men's Bible Study, that we start with a bunch of guys and we end up with a fewer number of guys that are really interested in not just learning the Word of God, not just seeking to be smarter sinners, but seeking to... Um, take ground in the way that you lived your life. And uh, I don't know whether you guys uh, uh, have noticed, but uh, these are kind of four seemingly random books. You know, um, I don't know if there's ever been in the history of the world a study where we picked out these four books to study. But if you think about these books, what's going on in each one of the books? The issue is always the heart. And they're asking questions that were not only pertinent in the day in which each of these different prophets was writing, but it's also pertinent for us today. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, as we get rolling. Um, You know, as guys are uh, uh, making their way in here, let's just take a, a second to just think back about what we've done so far. Remember we started off in the book of Joel? key phrase was day of the Lord. And the question we asked there was, hey, you know, Scripture tells us that that day is near. And are you ready? Are you ready for that day? Is your heart ready for that day? And you remember the image that we used was that of locusts? And the locusts had come and attacked, and that was the uh, immediate day of the Lord in chapter 1 of Joel. And the question there was, uh, hey, what am I doing about the locusts in my own life? And then in Jonah, the image was a great fish. And we looked at uh, um, how Jonah ran from God. And then he ran to God. And then he ran with God. And finally, he ran against God to the point that God asked at the end of the book, um, should I not have pity? Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? And we've got to ask ourselves, uh, is my heart broken by the same sort of things that breaks God's heart? And then in Nahum, the image was a smoking chariot, and we got the rest of the story on uh, Nineveh, the Paul Harvey moment, because a hundred plus years later, the uh, um, judgment was coming for Nineveh. Didn't, still didn't happen immediately, but it was uh, right around the corner. And so that was the key phrase for the book of Nineveh, uh, the fact that judgment was coming. And so we asked ourselves in, in that book, just last week, we asked ourselves, what is it in my life that needs to be destroyed so that I can take refuge in the Lord. Remember that? Your memory verse, Nahum 1.7? Uh, if you're eating at In-N-Out Burgers and you look at uh, underneath the cup or uh, in some of their other materials, uh, they have scripture verses written on those. And one of them, uh, Gordon Percy tells me, is Nahum 1.7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. And that's the kind of guys that we want to be. That's the kind of guys you are saying simply by your presence that you want to be, that you have a heart prepared to take refuge in Him. And so today as we dive into Malachi, key phrase is prepare the way. 
And especially next week, we'll talk about uh, how um, one came before uh, the coming king to prepare the way for him. But key phrase for the book, prepare the way. So let's start uh, with a word of prayer, and then we'll get rolling. Lord, thanks for this privilege of coming together as a group of guys who seek to uh, prepare their hearts uh, to be uh, first fully devoted to you and then to be used by you in a mighty way uh, in the relationships in our lives. And so be with us, Father, and uh, uh, may you open the words of Malachi so that they speak to each of us right where we are, right in the midst of our uh, hearts, that we might prepare hearts that are ready for the return of your Son. So thanks for this time. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so let's dive in. We've got a little introduction. And uh, author is uh, Malachi. And what do we know about Malachi? Well, nothing. We know his name. And, you know, hey, that's the way the, the, the prophet gig goes. Not much is known about a lot of the, especially the uh, prophets that have written these, uh, um, what we call the minor prophets. They're not minor for any reason other than the fact that they're shorter than the major prophets. Okay? The, the word that they speak is just important. The name means my messenger or messenger of Yahweh. And you'll see that same word appear in uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Okay? And the messenger that he's writing of, we see come in the Gospels to prepare the way for the coming king. He's writing uh, as a, a post-exilic prophet. And remember Blake talked about that uh, um, uh, when we were doing Joel, that... After the exile, when uh, the Babylonians had captured Judah, they went away for 70 years, and then they were uh, allowed to return to their homeland. And Malachi writes in a time frame right about the same time as the book of Nehemiah. And if you go read Nehemiah, you'll see that the uh, issues in the book of Nehemiah are very similar to the sort of things that are going on in the book of Malachi. And so uh, he's writing in the time frame of about 432 to 425 B.C. And then after Malachi, we have 400 years of silence. And it doesn't mean that God isn't doing anything in those time frames, not active in the lives of the people. We simply don't have anyone writing down Scripture until the messenger that Malachi speaks of comes on the scene in the person of John the Baptist. Okay? The purpose, to call the nation to repent in preparation for the coming of the Messiah and his messenger. And you know, guys, we're going to see that Malachi's message for Judah, uh, for Israel in this time frame, uh, is a message that we, as uh, citizens of the United States of America, need to hear today. And the image is a picture of robbing God. Okay? And you go, well... You know, who would be stupid enough to try to rob God? And that really brings us back to, hey, this is a timely message for the United States today. And we have to sit here and ask ourselves, is the church in America loving God the way it should love God? Is the church in America honoring and fearing God in the way that it should? Is it being faithful to God's covenant 
And specifically, is it being faithful to God's covenant in marriage in the way that it should? Or are we robbing God? And I think you'd have to agree with me that, you know, in many ways, um, not only is our country robbing God, uh, but the church itself is robbing God. And if the church is not going to give God the love and the honor and the respect, the reverence, the fear that He's deserved, who is? So it begins with us and it begins with our hearts. Key verses uh, 3, 1 and 4, 5 and 6, we'll be talking about those uh, uh, in particular next week. Okay? And so as you look at uh, um, the book of Malachi... It helped me to grab the message of the book by looking at the outline and the structure of the book. Okay? And if you look at it, you can see how I've indented uh, uh, each one of the different uh, uh, six disputes. You know, scholars call it disputations. Uh, and that might be a good word for a lawyer. You know, um, it's simply uh, an argument or, or a dispute or whatnot. I just called it dispute. And I know, as a uh, lawyer for 30 years, I know how to argue. I like to argue. You know, ask my wife. I like to argue. Sometimes I like to argue about things that I don't even care about, just for the fun of arguing. Okay? Uh, That is stupid. You can laugh at that, that's for sure. Okay? And uh, it uh, it has gotten me in trouble more than once. But we simply have here... uh, Either God or the prophet stating something and the people disputing it. The people arguing about it. And so the structure, the scholars call the structure that this book is written in as a a chiasm. Okay, And that simply comes from the word uh, key that is the X in Greek. You know, we would say chi omega uh, today, but key is simply the the Greek letter X. And you can see how... um, The first half of the book kind of goes this way, and the second half of the book, dealing with similar sort of topics, goes that way, and it really points to the things that are right in the middle of the book that deal with faithfulness to God's covenant, faithfulness to the covenant of marriage, faithfulness in relationships, which is uh, really what Malachi is trying to drive home. And so today we'll talk about the first, second, and third disputes, and we'll talk about uh, God's love. And we'll talk about God's name. And we'll talk about God's covenant. And then next week we'll have three other things to to talk about as well. But I hope that this outline helps you get a grasp on what the author is trying to do here and how he points to what he believes is the most important points. Um, You know, you say, well, how can the faithfulness to covenant and whatnot be more important than uh, God's love? Well, God's love kind of sets the uh, stage for everything else that follows. And so it makes sense that the section dealing with God's love would be first. But after that, we end up in a position where um, the faithfulness in our relationships, the faithfulness in our covenant with God comes to center stage and is the thing that's right there at the heart of the message of the book of Malachi. You know, 
one of the beneficiaries, one of the things, one of the advantages we have as believers in Christ today is that we have God's covenant written on our hearts. And so, whether it's Old Testament times or New Testament times, the issue is always the heart. Okay, let's take a look at the next slide, which is uh, a discussion of each one of the different sections follows this format. First, there's an assertion by either God or by the prophet. And then we see the people's response. We see the lawyers stand up and they say, you know, God says something. uh, And then we see the words, but you say. And you see the people dispute what God or the prophet has just said. You see the phrase, but you say, at least eight times throughout the book. And then what follows next in the section is God or the prophet giving evidence to back up the assertion that's just been made. Okay? And it's interesting that, uh, uh, I don't know if you noticed it, uh, I didn't until uh, I'd read through it a a bunch of times. The um, second and fifth sections have double but you says. And it really uh, emphasizes the fact that this is a chiastic structure. This is something where the uh, prophet is pointing to a particular sort of message. And he underscores that by repeating, but you say, twice in the second and fifth dispute sections. So let's open up uh, the book of Malachi. Turn to uh, chapter 1. And let's dive into the disputes. The first dispute is found in um, chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. And right off the bat, God um, makes the assertion, I have loved you. And you know, gang, uh, um, God lives in uh, um, relationship. He lives in the relationship of the uh, Trinity. And in creating us in His image, He created us for relationship. First, to have relationship with Him. And, you know, the New Testament makes it clear that we love because He first loved us. And that's where um, the book starts, with God saying, I loved you. But the people say, how have you loved us? And He tells them something that, uh, uh, frankly, you know, is kind of a strange statement. Uh, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And you go, wait a second, God, how are you talking about love here and you're talking about how you hated Esau? Well, if you look at the Wordsby Commentary, and this is one of the reasons that we give you this book, on page 175 he does a great job in talking about a comparison between the love that God had for Jacob and uh, the, uh, how the feeling that he had for Esau uh, looked like hate in comparison for the great love that God had for uh, Jacob. You know, the L word is not something that guys uh, talk about very easily. But whether it's a ranger unit in combat, or a football team, or whatever sort of uh, uh, group of guys, uh, the successful groups are groups that have a love for each other. You know, you hear that talked about on uh, championship football teams. 
Super Bowl winners talk about how the relationship and the atmosphere in the locker room is what uh, keeps them going. You talk about how, you know, guys in combat, they're not fighting for the flag or even for folks back home. They're fighting for their buddy in the foxhole next to them because of the love and affection that they have for that guy. You know, they may be the first to jump on him when he does, does something stupid, but they're also the one uh, who's willing to go out there in a hail of bullets um, to save that guy. And so, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but uh, a guy named Ricky Chillette spoke at the porch um, um, Now it's been, I'm sure, uh, months ago. It's available on Watermark Radio. And the topic's one that, you know, hey, um, guys don't talk about a lot together. The topic is homosexuality. But the message is one of the best parenting message I've ever heard for guys who have little boys. Okay? And so for little boys, when they're growing up from zero to three or so, three or four, Mom is the biggest thing in their world, and they relate to mom. But about at age four through ten, these guys are looking to develop their own man card. And so they're looking for affection. They're looking for attention. And they're looking for affirmation. And the little guys that get that from their father are guys that grew up to be successful guys in life. And there may be a bunch of us sitting in this room who didn't get that from their fathers. And, you know, um, the experts tell us that those guys spend the rest of their life looking for affirmation, for affection, and for attention um, from guys in a way that they didn't get when they needed it. And so for those of us sitting out here as dads, um, listen to that message. Listen to that message. It is one that will cause you to want to go be the kind of dad who provides affirmation for your little guy, who provides attention. And they're talking about, hey, guys want face-to-face attention, not to just know that dad's in the room listening to ESPN and reading a a magazine all at the same time uh, he's listening to little Johnny tell about uh, uh, his day at school. Kids want that face-to-face attention. And they want the affection that guys have for each other. You know, um, successful football teams, successful uh, ventures, successful um, army units and whatnot do that sort of thing for each other. The second dispute uh, focuses in on God's name. And um, the words, my name, appear seven times in that little section from uh, chapter 1, verse 6, through chapter 2, verse 9. And, you know, the section's about giving God the honor and the fear, the reverence that He deserves. And as you read through it, I don't know if you had the same feeling, but as I read through it, I just went, okay, this is talking about priests. Okay, well, I wasn't a priest back in those days. Uh, and as a lawyer, you know, I don't ever uh, really think of myself as a pastor. Um, it 
for some reason. I think of myself as a lawyer. You know, once a lawyer, always a lawyer. I found that out on my first day uh, on the job here when I stepped on the uh, toes of um, my counterpart, women's equipping director, and told her to stop interrupting me, just as I'd told a thousand other lawyers in the courtroom, stop interrupting me, let me finish my story. Well, you know, that works in the courtroom. It didn't work so well in this setting. And I learned something about a pastor's heart, okay? And I learned what it meant to resolve conflict. And, you know, uh, this church is fanatical about reserving, about resolving conflict. I learned how to do that on my first day uh, at work, okay? And it's a lesson I haven't forgotten. It's a lesson I've used uh, a bunch more times, I have to say. Uh, but the bottom line is that uh, we have to be guys who are willing to resolve conflict, uh, willing to do the hard thing to go to someone and say, will you forgive me? Okay, and I've totally lost my place now um, in thinking about that. Uh, but, you know, when you think about priests, you think, okay, that's, that's the other guy. That's Crotty. Crotty has to do this. Okay? But, you know, au contraire, mon ami, the bottom line is that we as believers in Christ are all priests. If you go look at 1 Peter 2, you'll see that we have been raised as a nation of priests uh, to our God. And a priest was simply someone who represented the people uh, to God and had uh, a relationship with God and the opportunity to come into the presence of God. Well, each of us as believers in Christ can do that on our own today. Okay, so this message is for all of us. And the question is, are we going to uh, provide the sort of offerings, the offering of our life today, uh, that God deserves? Are we going to be like the priests in Malachi's day who were, you know, picking out the, uh, or allowing the people to pick out the worst animals, uh, or the, the marginal animals in their flock to present to the God, uh, to God as a sacrifice? Are we going to be people that give God our best? That's the second dispute. And the final one um, revolves around God's covenant. First with Judah, and then the covenant of marriage that he talks about. And Worsby does a great job of underscoring that God is a silent partner in your marriage. And sometimes he's uh, not such a silent partner. I don't know about you, but sometimes he shows up uh, and he's shouting in my ear, saying, stop being such a knucklehead. And these guys were being knuckleheads because they were being faithless to God in the covenant relationship, and they were doing that by marrying uh, foreign women. Well, you know, did God have anything against foreign women? Well, maybe he did, but the bottom line on that was that he wanted the men of Judah not to be distracted from being fully devoted followers of him. And he knew that these foreign women would pull their hearts away to chase after foreign gods. And the same thing can happen to us. And so in uh, verse 16 of chapter 2, some of the other translations do it well. They say, God says, I hate divorce. It's important to hear that, but it's also important to hear uh, what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I hate divorced people. He doesn't say, I hate divorced people. He says, hey, I want your heart to belong to me regardless of your status. 
And on the last slide, each week we've tried to give you a phrase to help you uh, remember what's going on in the book of uh, uh, each one of the books we're studying. This week um, and for next week, the phrase is prepare the way. Prepare the way of your heart to receive uh, the Messiah. You know, he's no longer the Messiah coming for the first time. He's already been here. But he's coming back, and we need to prepare our hearts uh, for his return. He says that that day is near. And look at the questions that we have on the last slide. So, something to talk about uh, as guys. How specifically has God loved you? What has He done in your life? And in what areas of your life have you failed to give God the honor and fear that He deserves? And uh, what can you do today to change that? How have you been unfaithful in your life uh, to the Lord? And what can you do today to change that? And how can the guys that are sitting in that small group with you be guys who will be willing to speak truth to you in love? To give you the affirmation and attention and affection that we all uh, desire uh, as guys? How can they do that in a way that brings your heart to be prepared to receive the, the returning king? That's something to uh, talk about today. And next week, guys, we'll finish um, Summit. We'll finish uh, uh, the book of Malachi. And uh, it's something that I really encourage Summit leaders and guys to get everybody back here for the final wrap-up of this as we uh, um, put a nice bow on what God's doing. And uh, we uh, finally have a chance to say, is our heart ready for the king to come back. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thanks for the word of Malachi that charges us to give you the love that you uh, deserve. We thank you, Father, that we start uh, and are able to uh, even consider doing that because of the fact that you first loved us. And so, Father, may we give you the honor and uh, reverence that you deserve. And may we be faithful not only to our marriage covenants, but most of all to our uh, covenant relationship with you. May we be men who are willing to uh, share affirmation and attention and affection with each other and to do it in a way that uh, draws uh, hearts closer to you. So thanks for these guys and thanks for their faithfulness uh, to be here at Summit. Pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.